now listening to The Prime Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health, fitness, and performance related. When something is in its prime, it is at its best. This includes us as humans. Are you ready to take on the world? Then join us on this journey to live life in your prime. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Prime Podcast. And today we have a special guest, um, Michael Canino. Uh, so for those of you who have kind of been in person with the evolution of Prime Movement and Performance and CrossFit Utica, you would know that Mike has been with us since pretty close to the beginning. He was one of our initial coaches who came on. He was a student playing baseball at Utica College, uh, which is a local college in our area. And he had some experience doing CrossFit for a while, uh, specializing a little bit more in Olympic lifting, and turned out to be a really great coach for us. <clears throat> He's in town for the weekend, and we figured we'd chop it up a little bit. So, Mike Canino, welcome. What's up? Thanks for having me. So, I, I think let's take a little dive into a little bit of your background, how you got started in kind of CrossFit fitness and Olympic weightlifting. Like, what got you in that realm there? And then we'll kind of piggyback around. All right, so it started freshman year, end of freshman year of high school. I started CrossFitting just to uh, get some sort of structure in my workouts to train for baseball. Mm-hmm. So I did that, uh, kind of found a liking towards weightlifting uh, midway through high school and just kind of ran with that as I started the recruiting process for college. Uh, did that, and then we went into here made it to Utica College and kind of just rolled with weightlifting as I went through more and more uh, and just used that as kind of like a vessel to better my game on the field. Was there, was there a turning point where you went from, you know, maybe just a focus in CrossFit to a focus in Olympic weightlifting? Because I do know that you did take, you, you took to Olympic weightlifting, you actually made junior nationals mm-hmm. and did some stuff there. So like what was the, I guess, the turning point for you where, hey, I'm going to focus a little bit more on Olympic weightlifting versus just like the basic functional fitness, high intensity type thing? Um, So it was probably sophomore year. Uh, One of my friends, Kevin Nelson, back home, he always was pushing me to do a weightlifting meet. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of eyeballed one locally at uh, Mohawk Valley uh, to try and qualify for junior nationals just to see what would happen. And we did it. We qualified. So I think after that is when I really tried to focus in on Olympic weightlifting. And from there, I just kind of focused on that. Like, as you could tell, like, I didn't really do as many classes as I used to. It was, I was really just coming and do my programming that my coach wrote out. Uh, so I really followed through with that for probably the rest of undergrad, if I had to guess. But, yeah, soft, beginning of sophomore year was probably when I made that turn. Sophomore year of college or sophomore year? Of- sophomore year of college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. when we were back at the old place. Yeah. So, so the prior to that, like, in high school, it was just more, like, just strictly CrossFit type style stuff. So we actually did, do you, you ever hear Outlaw Way, Rudy uh, yeah. Nielsen? Yeah. So we followed that, me and a few of my buddies, because we, we liked it. it was more volume and he had a heavy emphasis on Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was already gearing towards that. We did, we were doing, we we're probably snatching three, four times a week to begin with, right. which was obviously a lot, but, uh, so it probably started there, but I was doing. Uh, probably regular CrossFit for like two years. And then once we found all outlaw way, I did that all the way up until I came here. Okay. All right. So a little background. Yeah. Um, and, and when we were talking before, like off air, Mike was kind of like, well, let's, let's figure out like where this, you know, like where my CrossFit Utica prime kind of came from. 
So similar, not, not, not so similar experience, but similar in some ways. Uh, I also started weight training in, in ninth grade in high school. Um, but at the time we're talking 1998, maybe 97, uh, the idea of CrossFit didn't even, well, the idea of CrossFit might've been there, but CrossFit as a thing wasn't a thing yet. Um, but I was very fortunate. Um, so I played uh, JV football and then I made the, the freshman basketball team. So that was my winter that mm-hmm. was, or that was my fall. That was my winter. And then immediately after, uh, I went into the weight room, you know, just like the thing that, you know, people were like, Hey, you should lift. You play football. You're pretty good. You know, maybe you should lift and, and be able to do this thing. So I go in the weight room and there was a, a gentleman there who was actually, I would say, I, I look back now, like way, way ahead of his time in terms of strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. We were doing clean and jerks. Uh, and we're talking 1998. We had platforms in our, in oh, our wow. he had platforms built and put in. They were like custom built platforms of plywood and two by fours. Uh, we had bumper plates and barbells, and we were doing clean and jerks, and we were doing front squats, back squats. We were doing pistols, and he was using, like, RNT with, like, band stuff. And he was doing, really? like, it was some, some like, looking back at it, it was some really incredible stuff that um, I was exposed to, and I got an opportunity to learn how to do things at a very young age mm-hmm. and do them well. And I think the 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 turning point for me was then, like, the next year, you know, I, I took to the weight room really well. Mm-hmm. Um by my body type and things like that. Like I'm the type of person who, if I lift a little bit, I get strong and, and muscular very fast. Um, you know, there's three different types of body p- types if you know them. Um, but I'm a mesomorph, which is kind of like that ath- naturally athletic build, you know, and I just pick up muscle and I get strong and I, I took to it very well. And then, you know, like we've talked about before taking that step and then seeing some results is like the continual motivation. So I was like, all right, I got stronger. I went and played football my next year as a sophomore. I was on the varsity. I was like one of three people on a varsity on the varsity team, and I started as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I like lifted weights. I did this thing. I got stronger. I'm able to compete at a pretty decent level. Um, so then that, that winter, I was like, I'm like 5'9", and our basketball team was really, really good. And I was like, I can just lift weights and keep playing football, and that, that seems like a great idea for me. Um, so that's what I did. I just kept lifting, kept lifting, kept lifting, kept lifting, became a gym rat, uh, like really into it. I don't think I ever missed a workout um, all through high school. Um, whenever a chance I had in the summertime, I'd be there early. You know, I'd be running, running the laps. Uh, I have like a loop from my, my parents' house where I used to run, um, doing sprints, doing anything that this strength and conditioning coach gave me to do. And then that actually led me to be able to go to college to mm-hmm. play football. You know, like I said, not super big, not super athletic, but the weight room kind of gave me a little bit of like an edge, like a little bit of an edge that yeah. other people weren't doing. And not only that, like I said before, it wasn't just, you know, like, I don't know, like bodybuilding or, you know, what we would consider powerlifting. Like we were doing like what we would call now is functional training. And we were doing Olympic lifting. We were doing single leg work. We were doing traditional stuff as well. But the, the gentleman who was there was really ahead of his time. Um, so it's really cool to see that. And then that has kind of ev- helped me evolve, uh, this thing. And then probably similar to, to like the timeline. So what would you, when would you have been in ninth grade? Uh, 2011 was fall of freshman year. So 2011. So that might be a similar time. I think at 2010, I may have found the CrossFit gym, okay. a yeah. CrossFit gym. 
So I go through. I went to Ithaca College to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, there we did a lot of the same stuff. Like we did power cleans. We did squatting and stuff. Actually, I did more functional training. You know, more single leg unilateral work in high school mm-hmm. than I did in college. Um, but I still got stronger. Uh, you know, I was able to compete, and I you know I started a, a little bit in my junior and senior year, and I was you know in the rotation of linebackers and things like that. And so I played quite a bit. And again. This sort of thing. And at the same time, I was going to school for physical education. So learning about all this, these sort of things and being able to help people. Um, so moving forward, you know, I, I had these two experiences that took up about eight years of my life from freshman year in high school through senior year in college, where I was power cleaning, back squatting, bench pressing, deadlifting, you know, whatever, uh, and doing all those sorts of things. So now we're talking eight years of kind of prime time of your life to be able to build muscle and get stronger. Yeah. And you're a similar situation. Your just avenue took you towards a little bit more towards Olympic lifting because mm-hmm. I think at the time, so if we're looking at that same timeline, uh, I'd never snatched. That was the one thing. I, I had never snatched yeah. until I stepped foot into a CrossFit gym. I didn't know what a snatch was. I knew what a clean was and a clean and jerk. But the popularity of CrossFit has brought that barbell into the mainstream. Yeah, I think with the snatch, I think I was – I took to it because I had all this mobility from baseball. So I was always able, like getting overhead was never an issue. So I think people who haven't been exposed to it kind of shy away from it because they get that bar overhead. They're like, oh, I got to drop into a full squat with this. This isn't, this isn't going to happen. But um, I don't know. I think I just took to it very well because I felt comfortable doing the movement. And to to branch off your point, how you said you were just getting, like you, you got strong and you're like, oh, wow, I did well in football. I got very strong. I was in the weight room, you know, A leads to B. Um, that kind of happened freshman year with baseball. Like I was terrible my freshman year of high school. I mm-hmm. didn't even start on JV. Yeah. And then I just hit the weight room, hit the weight room and I got stronger. And then I started on varsity my sophomore year of high school. I think I was like the second or third best hitter, whatever statistically I can't even remember. Um, but I was like, huh, got stronger and I hit the ball harder. Maybe I should keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So then I just uh, stuck with it. We trained in season when back then we didn't even understand the concept of in season training. We just kind of went to the gym after practice yeah. and worked out. But I think what a lot of, uh, not to go on a tangent, but I think what like a lot of, cause I'm not athletically gifted by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guys like me, they're leaving a lot on the table in terms of on-field performance by not getting stronger. I would agree with that 100%. And I think, right. I think to, to, to go to that point, uh, People who are in a position like we are, like I would say, both of us are generally average. Yeah, I'm a, I, I use the term aggressively average. Aggressively average, right? So we're aggressively average. We're both about, how tall are you? 5'10". <laughs> yeah, he's 5'10", I'm 5'9", right? So aggressively average. And we had an opportunity to go use the weight room as a catalyst for us to improve our athletic performance and potentially take us to do something else. Yeah. Um, and this is an opportunity where you can, as a, as a young athlete or as somebody who has a parent who's a young athlete or somebody who's just trying to improve some part, some facet of your life, you can easily do that by taking to some, a regimented strength training program. And, you know, we're not talking, we saw results early yeah. because we were young. Exactly. You know, like if, if you're 14 and you're hitting the weight room for the first time that the changes you're going to make are, exponential. Mm-hmm. And just like we talked, I've talked about in a previous podcast, um, those motivations, like that initial motivation to, to work out, like, I don't know where it came from, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and Mike might not know that either. Maybe it was just like, hey, you know, a bunch of my friends are doing this, so I'm going to try to do this thing. But then that first year, he's like, oh, I, I hit better. I was able to do this. I was throwing harder, throwing further. Hey, I start, you know, I was able to compete. I started on the varsity. Maybe I should continue doing this. And then mm-hmm. it, kind of that cycle of doing that thing first, like just trying it. I'm going to wait lift because that's what my buddies are doing. And then, wait, I got results from it? Oh, I'm going to keep doing it. I got that motivation. So now we're talking about the cycle of the motivation comes from our results, not the other way around. The motivation doesn't come first. The motivation comes second to keep things going in a positive direction. You agree with that? Totally agree. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so right after that, um, you know, where we talked about moving myself from, you know, I, I graduated from Ithaca College with a physical education degree. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go get my master's. So that summer, I had gotten my appendix out. You were telling, I think I heard Yeah, so this was a, a, like the worst <laughs> case scenario for me. I was super active, right? I played college football. You know, going into, you know, college football's over, and you kind of party a little bit. You stop working out as much. You eat a little bit. And you finish your semester. And then that summer, I got my appendix out. And then as I'm moving into my, to be a, gradu- uh, a graduate student, at Ithaca College to, to get my master's degree in physical education. I was a uh, graduate assistant football coach and I was a graduate assistant in the physical education department. So I helped the student teachers. Mm-hmm. I gained over that summer and into that fall, I probably gained 25 pounds. Um, maybe it could have been the spring too, probably partying too much, no more football, no more exercise, you know, drinking and eating and doing whatever, just kind of finishing off your senior year of, of college. Then the appendix hit and I wasn't active and I was miserable. Um, at that point, I think I was like probably 235 or 240, which is the heaviest I've ever been in my life. Wow. Um, so right now, well, when I played college football, I lived at like 202, 205 at most, which is still kind of big for me. Right now, for the last like, I don't even know, six to eight years, I've been at like 185. If I get over 195, I'm kind of like, all right, I need to dial my nutrition in a little bit. So that fall, going into my master's degree, um, and I'm coaching, I had an epiphany. So I go for a run uh, with, I think I might have said this in a different podcast, but I go for a run uh, with uh, another GA and one of the, the other coaches who's an older gentleman at the time. He's probably like 50. And they completely crushed me. Like, it was, you know, if you're familiar with Ithaca, there's hills, there's stuff going on. Like I was like, I thought I was going to have a, a heart attack right there. They were just going to leave me for dead. Um, so after that, I was like, man, I am very out of shape. So then it got me like motivated because like, you know, you have that initial motivation. And then I was like, all right, I need to go do, um, something, something yeah. right to get back into it. Yeah. I'm not trained to be a football player, but I got I need to be healthy. And my family history is my, my mother, um, and both of my older brothers are very heavy would be considered, you know, if we were to do like a scan on them, they would be considered morbidly obese. Mm-hmm. Um, my father died very young from, from poor, healthy, poor, poor choices, poor life okay. choices. And I have a younger sister who is kind of like, you know, maybe going down the path of, of being a little unhealthy as well. So then I saw that, you know, I can see all this happening and going through and in, in, right in front of me. And I'm like, all right, I need to make a change. Like, what do I need to do to make that change? And this is where all this education over the last eight years, nine years, where I was doing all this exercise, I knew what to do exercise wise, mm-hmm. uh, but I never really focused on my nutrition. This is where the nutrition part comes mm-hmm. in. Um, so now as an athlete, as a college athlete, you know, we're like, it's, it's so interesting if you play college football, um, especially at the division three level, 
Like we had offensive linemen who would play at like 270. And the spring after football was over, they'd be weighing 220. Oh, for sure. Just because they had to eat so much just to stay out of weight that their body really didn't want to be at, but they did it to be able to compete and play football. Yeah. You um, see that all the time with NFL players. You'll see them retire, and then two years later, a picture will show up, and they'll drop like 70, 80 pounds. Right. So our, our bodies will find what's normal for us over mm-hmm. time. And uh, that's where the nutrition part came in. I, I Somebody had recommended a book called The Abs Diet, which is kind of a funny book title, but it was it was made by Men's Health, and it had a workout plan and a nutrition plan in there that was super simple to follow, and I actually still use these recipes to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the catalyst for me that kind of got me on the, like, okay, this, is, this isn't that hard. Get yourself in check. Eat healthier. Mm-hmm. Do this and do that. And then that was my my movement forward. Now, right now, I'm, I'm, I know that you're also, do you work for another company that does nutrition or, or what does that look like for you? I know nutrition is also a part of your whole thing right now. So primarily right now, I'm a student physical therapist over at Marist College, second year student, but I do a few other things on the side. So I handle the strength programming for a local travel baseball program called the Orifice Baseball Dodgers. It's uh, We have like five or six teams, I think, right now. So it'll be like any of the remote programming and any like basic nutrition info for any of our players that reach out. Um, but then I also work for Move the Needle Nutrition, yep. where I have a client load, and we work through an app. So I'll do that remotely and talk with them and set them up. So I have people who do uh, – we'll do like portions, and then we have I have some people who do like macros. I'll give them a macro right up. Um, and then through the gym I work at at home, sometimes I'll do, get a nutrition client here or there, but it's typically mostly just training over there across Mid-Hudson. Yeah, so so most of your one-on-one people mm-hmm. are nutrition-based. Correct. So what got you into uh, the idea of like, hey, I'm going to be a nutrition coach? So it kind of started for me uh, when I graduated. So I graduated in May of 2019, and I was like, well, baseball's over. I should probably make sure... I don't like fall off the wagon completely. Like I, <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, I have no direction for my training. Cause I was just training. I was like, I'm going to get as strong and as powerful as I can to see how hard I can throw. Right. Uh, I didn't throw that hard, but you know, yeah. I tried. Uh, so I was like, I don't want to like fall off the wagon and like lose my drive with uh, fitness. So I did the precision nutrition cert. I signed up right after I graduated. I did that. And I was like, you know what? Um, I'd love to help people. Because nutrition can be scary for someone. Like, if you're trying to get into it and lose a few pounds, like, it's, it could be a very scary avenue to go down on your own. So I really love working with people and help guiding them down the path. So I started working on my own, and that's when I started my, I'm doing air quotes, brand, yeah. MC Nutrition and Performance that lasted all of four months before. Uh, yeah, you had MC Strength and Conditioning, too. I think there's a, there's a couple I of did. shirts floating around the gym. Yeah, there's a couple of shirts floating around somewhere. My aunt made those. Those are that was like way long ago. Yeah. Um, Canino strength conditioning. That's what it was. It was out of my garage. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It was quite the setup. Uh, one barbell and 200 pounds of plates. Uh, but so I did it on my own. I had about eight to 10 clients made, got some awesome results. I actually still work with them. One of them still today. We've been together for like a year and a half. Uh, and then move the needle, hired me, Eric over at Warlock CrossFit. He talked to me. So I hopped on board with them to handle all the behind the scenes stuff. So I just, uh, so all I have to do is focus on coaching, but my main drive really came from just helping people navigate nutrition. Cause there's so much, I'm not going to cuss, but there's so much crap out there that it's, especially with social media, you're exposed to it 
all day long. Like you go on Facebook, you'll see these like detox diets and all this crap. Um, so that, that can be intimidating to try and see like what's actually legit. So if like, if I could just help one person, you know, be able to sift through all that and just understand what decisions they need to make to reach their goals, whether it's like, I have people who want to gain muscle, I have people who want to lose weight. And if I can just help them make a little bit of progress, that's like where I really get my drive out of with nutrition. So and now I'm delving into the athlete side of things with the travel baseball program because they need to eat differently than someone who, you know, works at desk job. Like they need to eat to perform. So I'm now sure. pushing these kids. They're like, oh, I had Cheetos and iced tea before practice today. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't have that before we yeah, like go I just I just had my, uh, like, so I've, I've been working with four higher level, um, kind of like personal, semi, semi-private uh, soccer girls. Okay. And uh, I had them give me a three-day log oh of, of their their meals i know and, where this is going and uh you just said cheetos or whatever but one of the one of the girls had put applesauce for every meal like i just had applesauce for breakfast i had applesauce for lunch and i had applesauce for dinner and that was it pretty much there okay. wasn't a whole lot of other stuff in there okay and uh i was like you didn't have any you know like eggs or meat or vegetables or anything. Uh, just applesauce and then po- it was popcorn applesauce and popcorn a lot of applesauce and popcorn and I was like, you're trying to perform at a high level. Like you just said, like you're trying to get um, perform at a high level. And yes, your needs are not the same as somebody who's, you know, maybe just recreationally exercising and uh, has a desk job mm-hmm. for eight hours a day or at, sitting at home for eight hours a day on yeah. a computer. So, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate that with the younger population, which is a little different um, because they, like we had talked about for them, it's actually easier a lot of times to train people in that situation than, than a general adult client because mm-hmm. they have more specific goals. Like we were just talking about, like you have those specific ideas. Like I'm trying to do this because I'm trying to get better at something. Yes. You know, when you get to a point where, you know, after we had both finished, you know, we didn't have that initial thing. Like, what am I training for now? Mm-hmm. Like, why am I, what, why do I have to go to the gym and like, you know, sweat and why do I have to eat this food? And why do I have to do this if I'm not trying to be an athlete anymore? Um, but at the same time, you can see how quickly, you know, like I said, it was like, for me, it was not even, it was like six to eight months and I had already gained 30 pounds and I was like on a path of being super unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take long to get off the wagon and get into a really negative spiral mm-hmm. of, you know, weight gain, specifically fat, you know, gaining fat mm-hmm. and losing your muscle and getting your biomarkers, like your, your blood pressure, your you know, sugar levels and all that kind of stuff into a bad position. So it's important that we, we take those into consideration and kind of move forward. And that's like the nutrition thing. I didn't have the knowledge of the nutrition because I, in in college, I never really took anything about nutrition because physical education was like all physical stuff, right? It was just like, how do you teach and how do you do movement and things like that? But there was never any talk about nutrition, basic health stuff, but I never did anything with it. But that book, uh, the abs was the first thing, like my first, like, uh, catapult into nutrition but it didn't really talk about it it just gave you good healthy recipes which i had never cooked with i come from an italian household and i'd eat a pound of pasta and 20 meatballs every sunday for dinner and breakfast and lunch and also mm-hmm. like a half a toast half a loaf of italian oh, bread yeah. with every butter. sunday every sunday yeah, every sunday and you know that, that could be enough carbs for me right now for the month <laughs> uh <laughs> literally a half a loaf of italian bread with like fried meatballs for breakfast and then oh yeah and then a pound of pasta for lunch with meatballs and sausage, and then warm up the same more pasta for dinner. Oh, yeah. That was my Sunday meal. The whole day, you just eat all Sunday. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, you know, and then you look at those sort of things, and you don't, 
you don't always have, and many of us don't always have that reflectiveness to be like, yeah, I ate this and it resulted in this. Um, And the more reflective we can be, and we always joke with people at the gym that some of the outsiders, people who aren't in our, our people who do things like we do, don't know what it feels like to feel good. Okay. Yeah, no. Right. It's so it's, because they, they're yeah. so uh engrossed in eating like garbage and drinking a whole bunch of stuff that mm-hmm. puts them in a bad position that they don't actually know what it feels like to feel good. Yeah. And that's and that's just you know, I think that's a product of every like, you know, modern society. Because it's like, oh, this is just how I'm supposed to feel. You know what? I had a heavy carb laden breakfast. I didn't move and then I had more carbs at lunch. And then I get home from work and I'm like lethargic. I don't want to do anything. Like this is just like how I feel because like this is how everybody eats. And it's not necessarily the individual's fault. I think it's more just like you're exposed to. You drive down, like you drive down, um, forget the name of the road here, but you see a McDonald's right there and then you see another option. And there's no good, like not, you have to go out and see the options. But if you don't have the, not insight, like the The knowledge, the knowledge, the knowledge. so that was important. I wanted to come back. It's a good thing yeah. you just said because that's like an important part too. As a, as a coach, hey, whether we're strength coaches or we are um, nutrition coaches, um, one of our our jobs, and I had I told this to our our members at Prime Movement Performance. My one of my jobs is for me to sift through all the garbage and mm-hmm. give you the good information. Otherwise, you have to navigate through that, and that's. You didn't go to school for that. You didn't study that. You didn't do any of that stuff. We just talked about before, like before we got on, like if I'm going to go get a consultation with a surgeon about my knee, mm-hmm. he's going to recommend surgery. Correct. That's what he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you studied accounting and you're an accountant, then you're, if I come to you about my knee, you're going to be like, what do you, hear? you're going to be like, I can do your taxes. <laughs> I don't know how much I can help you on your knee. So uh, making sure that you're finding people who are good resources and who have the knowledge and can educate you on those things is super important. And then going back to that other point where like everyone is doing the same thing, right? Everyone mm-hmm. feels the same way. So again, going back to like the people that you, I think James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. If there's something that you want to do, you have to find the group of people who are doing the thing that you want to do. So if you are with a bunch of other people who eat, carb-heavy breakfast, carb-heavy yeah. lunch, carb-heavy whatever, and they feel, you know, not even just carb-heavy, but, like, sugar-refined carb-heavy, mm-hmm. you know, where you're having a muffin and, and bagels and donuts for breakfast, and then you're having some sort of sub-sandwich for lunch, and then you're having, you know, pasta for dinner, and then, you, like you said, you feel bloated, you feel lethargic, you feel sluggish, and you can't, you know, you're not sleeping well, and all of these things kind of carry over into the next thing, but everybody in your circle is also doing that thing and also feels the same way. Nothing. And you don't have any reference. You have no inclination to change. No inclination to change, no yeah. ref, no frame of reference of how people, other people do it. Mm-hmm. Or you don't see people who don't feel the same way you feel. Exactly. You're so, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Exactly. That's, that's probably one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yeah. So, so when you get into a place like Prime or Crossman Hudson Down by me, you know, you're, you're with a group of, I mean, everyone's motivated in their own way, but you, you're with a group of people that are making these different changes. You're like, huh. Maybe, you know, I'm going to shift this way and see how I feel. And then they start to get that. We talk about that motivation and results. So mm-hmm. they get motivated to make that change. And they're like, oh, wow, I feel a lot better when I work out. I feel a lot better. Like I'm not dragging at two o'clock at work. I feel energized throughout the entire day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, maybe I will start changing and look into this more. Ask my coach about what can I change 
what can I, do I need to make more changes to feel even better? Or am I on the right track? For sure. Cause I think there's sometimes with coach, not, not everyone, but sometimes coaches push people too far in the opposite direction where it's too restrictive. I agree with that one. So we, we've moved away from, yeah. Cause it, that's how we ran our challenges when we first started. It was like, here you mean? It, yeah. You remember? Yeah. The, so we don't do that anymore. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was going to talk about is like that when we, when you first, and a lot, a lot of this is everything has evolved. And this is kind of what we're going to kind of keep coming back to the evolution yeah. of mindset, the evolution of training, the evolution of what we deliver and you know how things go. Mm-hmm. When we first started, there were all these kind of nutrition templates and things that people were doing these challenges. There was like the whole life challenge, there's whole 30, there's this, that, and the other thing. But what we found over time is the more we did these, there were some people, don't get me wrong. There were some people who had great, great results. Mm-hmm. But I would say the vast majority failed miserably because, and they would do something good for one week. And let's say we had a six week challenge by week two, it was kind of like 50%. Then week three, they were gone. Something comes up, there something changes. So what happens, and this is how we've been uh, kind of describing it to our other, to our staff and to other people is that if you were to come into the gym, like Mike was talking about the snatch and the snatch is probably one of the most complex, graceful powerful movements in the world, right? Other than if we're talking about the barbell movements, mm-hmm. um, it requires a lot of mobility. It requires a lot of strength. It requires a lot of uh, coordination. Yep. It requires all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've never done something, like you're not going to go and compete in Olympic weightlifting tomorrow. There is a progression. And the same thing with nutrition. Like if I've never changed, if, I, if I'm the person who's eating muffins and, and, and donuts and coffee, and then I'm having a sub, and then I'm having pasta for dinner, I'm not going to go to being gluten-free tomorrow because that would be a, a disaster. The same thing like if you were to go and try to do a, you know, a 100 kilo snatch, snatch. tomorrow. <laughs> after not touching a barbell After ever. never touching a barbell, that would also lead in disaster. That's a great, great, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that, <laughs> but I'm going to quote you on it. But so, we, so what we've been trying to do is find progressions of nutrition like there are progressions of movement. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going from... I'm going to use a super simple example, a bologna sandwich on Wonder Bread, mm-hmm. which some would say that's probably the lowest level of nutrition deficiency, right? Agreed. Wonder white bread has like not really a lot of nutritional value. Bologna is probably incredibly the, salty and, and bologna is probably one of incredibly salty. It has really nu- poor nutritional value, all these different things mm-hmm. in there. And if we can just move you a little bit in one direction, like, Hey, let's change the, the bologna for like some ham. Turkey. Oh, I could do that. Mm. All right, cool. We did that for a couple of weeks. All right, let's take our American cheese and sub it for cheddar cheese. Cheddar cheese is, is, has a lower level of lactose. It has a lower level of this, a little bit more high quality cheese. Okay, can we switch our, our, our Wonder Bread now to wheat bread? What do we think? So now we've taken this person. This, now this, this isn't overnight. This is two weeks at a pop. Yeah. So now we're talking, it took us eight weeks to get to a whole wheat sandwich with turkey and cheddar. And there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. But that's, and that's, and that's where I think people... The disconnect. Get disconnected because like, hey, I need to get rid of that altogether. Yeah. And like you said, we go too hard too fast. And then I go back to my habits after a week because it's too hard. If something yeah. is too hard, too fast, we in, in, in weightlifting or in, in, in fitness, you get hurt. Mm-hmm. In nutrition, you just go back to your old ways. And sometimes even... And you know, you rebound skew back the opposite way. The opposite yes. way. And I think that's one of the big issues. Like I keep harping on it, but the social media, they push these like restrictive, restrictive challenges. And yeah, you see the results because 
whoever's promoting it is going to be like, oh, this person lost 20 pounds and 5% body fat, whatever the number is because in 30 days. Because there are people who do it. There's there like 10% are. of the people who crush those challenges and all do get awesome results. And even some of those people who crush it, you don't see what happens after that challenge ends. 100%. So after that challenge ends, what happens do you, if they don't have the accountability or the drive? They're like, all right, I got my six pack or whatever. What, like, what do I do now? They could re- easily revert back. And I guarantee it happens more often than not. Cause I've, I've run, I'm, I'm guilty. We ran these somewhat restrictive four week challenges where there was a point system for staying on track and eating the, you know, approved foods that we would list. For sure. And then after, like I'd look at, I, I would keep an Excel sheet and I'd be like, okay, this person did this, 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 you know, we got some great progress. Um, but then in the months after I would see the revert, like they would revert back. And I'm like, well, what, like, what was the point? Like, yeah. am I just going to keep running these? So these people like they can feel good for a week. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they feel good for a week, but I'm not doing, I'm doing them a disservice by just, you know, yo-yoing them back and forth. So if we can adjust, like you said, with the, like a bologna sandwich, like eat, to, to bring it open to macros. Cause I feel like a lot of people are like, everyone's doing macros. So yeah. like, they're like, Oh, I'm eating. I was like, all right, let's track your food for a day and let's see how much you, you're eating right now. And it'll be some say like 3000 calories. They're like, Oh, I want to eat 1200 calories a day. I'm like, well, no, yeah. like, like we're not going to cut you by whatever, 60%. Right. Um, let's start with 2,700 and let's see how you feel. And then let's go to 24 and let's see how you feel. If we're getting changes, there's no reason to keep cutting mm-hmm. or like, and on the opposite side of the spectrum, I work with someone who's putting on muscle and he, he was eating like 1500 calories a day. I was like, all right, let's start with 18 and let's see if we get a change. Okay. No change. Let's go to 21. So, and then he's like, all right, I'm putting on muscle. Can we go up higher? I was like, let's, let's ask ourselves a question. And I, I'm like, okay, if we're at 2,100 and we're putting on muscle, why do you want to go higher? Like you're more co- muscle. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. But if we're gaining a, he- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to put on five more, pounds. More, more, more is always better. More is always better. As it was Shante, M O A R, right? More, more, more yeah. you though. Some more you. Oh, I know. Yeah. I just like how she said. I think it's yeah. funny. But and I think that's a that's a great point. And I think that we get, you know, more isn't always better. Better is better, right? So like you said, Perfect. and I had made a post yesterday talking about how I think I have it behind me. Coaching, coaching a little bit ugly or. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means that like, uh, when things are a little bit ugly Mm -hmm. or a little bit, you know, like if we're talking about movement patterns, that's how I got, where I got the idea from is if we're looking at a movement pattern and it's completely flawless, that movement pattern isn't challenging you. Does that make sense? So if if I can air squat perfectly flawless, there's nothing there that's necessarily challenging me unless I, you know, obviously I can add a ton of volume to it. But if I just did an air squat right now, for me, you know, an air squat is a pretty easy movement. Mm-hmm. But if that's all I had access, let's say if I went home and I was like, I'm going to do a workout today, I'm going to do a five by five air squat. Okay. I'm not going to see any results from that right? because it didn't challenge me. So a little bit ugly means that like, I want to be able to see some deviation in it. So I want to see you hit a weight or hit a position or hit a movement. That's a little bit of a reach for you mm-hmm. that it's a little bit ugly. But it's not like an overtly insane a little bit ugly? Just, just a, tiny a little bit. bit ugly just to where the stimulus is too much for them to maintain that form exactly okay. but just a little bit ugly not aggressively ugly right <laughs> exactly you can be aggressively average but not aggressively ugly correct <laughs> so 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 a little bit ugly is okay and that shows us that you have reached kind of your, your threshold mm-hmm. right and the same thing happens with nutrition it can be a little 
you know, we want it to be a little bit challenging, but like, like we don't want it to be aggressively ugly. Yeah. So that, that, you don't cutting, want to overshoot. that cutting from the 3000 to 1200, that's aggressively ugly because now I get in a situation yeah. where I'm in a position that it's way too hard for me. Exactly. And that's how, you know, if, as we're talking about progressions and the problem with our, our current society, as Mike is saying, is that we have these extremes, like the pendulum swings from one end to the other and there's mm-hmm. no in between. Yeah. And to be honest, sustained lifelong uh, results and health and all these different things happens in the middle. Mm-hmm. happens through slow progress that allows you to keep making progress, not plateau and actually have stuff that's sustainable. Exactly. And that's what we're trying to, to get people to. And it's not sexy. It's not exciting. And it's, it's not, not fast. It's not fast. Um, and but it's changing from that bologna sandwich to that Turkey sandwich with cheese. I just said took two months, but that's a lot of change. That's like, a huge change. So, like relative to where you were, like you, you can't, I think like that big issue is gauging your success and progress off someone else is I think what hurts a lot of people. Like I, I would always fall into that trap when I was weightlifting. Cause I was like, Oh, well this guy's clean and jerking 150 kilos and I'm still stuck at 137. Like I have to, I got to be there in a month. Right. But that's just unrealistic. So when you look at someone, they're like, Oh, they dropped 20 pounds in two months. Why not me? I'm like, well, like relative to where you were, this is a lot of progress that we're making. Yeah. Just the, uh, the bologna sandwich too, or metaphorical ham sandwich. Yeah. Turkey sandwich. Turkey sandwich. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's a, and you have to look at it in the scope of where you were then and where you are now. Cause if you put it on a graph, I guarantee you that progress is exponential. And I also wanted to, to round back, come back around to the, the idea that, um, these, progress or, or outcome goals versus like process oriented goals. Okay. So he would say like, Oh, I, I hit my, my 20 pounds. Now what? You know, like I lost my 20 pounds. Now what? Yeah. You know, like what, what, what's then, you know, what comes next? Um, so he had talked about, Mike had talked about it before and just saying like, you know, people have these goals and you, you do these challenges where like, Hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay. You lost 20 pounds. Now what? Do you go back to what you did before and then gain 30 back? You know, like, what's the next step? You have to have a plan for that yeah. in order to keep that 20 pounds off. That's the hard part. Like, losing the weight is, losing weight is not inherently difficult. It, Maintain, yeah. Yeah. It, theoretically. Theoretically, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I can tie you to a telephone pole for and you can lose six weight. weeks, yeah. and I'll let you lose weight. I'll just give yeah. you some water. Yeah, and you'll, maybe. You'll survive. <laughs> All right? And you'll lose weight. You'll lose tons of weight. Yeah. All right? But... What we're talking about is being able to like, okay, now if I wanted to lose theoretically 20 pounds and I needed to do that and be able to keep that 20 pounds off, that's very different ideology than just losing the 20 pounds. Would you agree? Like, I so agree. if I, if, if I, if I came in to the gym today and I was like, Hey Mike, I really want to lose 20 pounds. And you said to me like, great. How can we help you keep that 20 pounds off? Yeah. Cause that, like once it, you get there, like then what? It doesn't end at the goal. It, yes. it, like, that's basically what we're trying to say. Um, and that's the tough part. Like, as a coach, I think that's the hardest part to navigate because you don't know. Like, when they come in and they say, I want to lose 20 pounds, you know, okay, this is our goal. This is our plan of action. But from there, then it you cycle back to the beginning, and now we're developing these goals beyond what they already accomplished. So it takes a little bit of self-searching on their part, but it takes a little bit of digging on your part as a new, as a coach to see what matters to them. And it could be, 
like it's good to quantify things, but sometimes the next goal may be, all right, I want to, it may not be keeping the entirety of this 20 pounds off, but I feel good playing with my kids and I'm energetic. I want to keep feeling this way. All right. I was like, okay, so let's eat so that you feel that like that. You don't have to put a number to every type of nutrition goal. Exactly. And I think, I think having a number to any of these sort of goals or, or ideologies around yeah. fitness and health are, Very, are it can be a recipe for a disaster agreed. Um, and recipe for demotivation if you don't get there. And also when you do get there, because then it's like, all right, I'm done. I, re- I got there. I'm good. I don't need to do anything anymore. Yeah. Wrong. All right. And that's kind of like how things have evolved. At least, you know, you see Mike's kind of evolution in nutrition. You saw, you know, ours is similar because we, we kind of started off in a similar mindset. That was what we kind of knew for nutrition before we've kind of gotten a little bit more educated and, and played around with different things. And sometimes you learn from experimentation and failing and, mm-hmm. and not doing certain things. And the same thing comes from the fitness realm, at least for me. You know, I talked about the previous eight years um, through high school and college where I was doing heavy barbell movements and I was doing some functional stuff in, in high school. And then I find CrossFit, you know, and I, and I found CrossFit kind of like on a, on a weird way, or at least the CrossFit gym. So I was coaching football in a high, at a high school in, in New York City. And a couple of my former athletes had, were doing CrossFit at a pretty high level. And they actually, all of them eventually went on to own a gym. One of them still owns a gym right now and called CrossFit Coney Island. He, I met him through this, this one of my former athletes and they were at like a global gym Mm -hmm. and they had known the owner. So he was letting them bring like, they bought all their own stuff and just would bring it in there like ropes and barbells and they would just bring it and put it in this global gym and do CrossFit. So that's a pretty pretty legit setup. Yeah. So I didn't know that the idea of a CrossFit gym existed mm-hmm. okay and we're talking this might be 2010 all right so this is still f- fairly like it's if i remember right like crossfit was like growing growing but i would it's not quite at that peak around it, like it, 2013 yeah 2014, it didn't hit the peak I, yet this is no. when in in brooklyn at the time i want to say that there was only like two boxes maybe oh yeah there was like four maybe four like because we were there was one pretty main one and this was like i think the second the gym that i, I became a part of i think was the second gym in brooklyn so okay. the second box. In the 718, right? Yeah, okay. Cross the 718. The first one, I think, was CrossFit South Brooklyn, um, which is still one of the most uh, well-respected ones. Oh, my God, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so my wife was doing a kickboxing class, and the owner knew, or the, the kickboxing instructor knew the owner of the gym. So on Sunday afternoons, he would rent out the space. Mm-hmm. And I go and pick up my wife um, from the thing, and the owner comes out, um, and we start chatting it up. At this point, I had, I had, been coaching football, coaching girls track and field for five or six years. Mm-hmm. I had went to a conference that kind of sparked my interest in being doing more like personal training, sports performance type stuff. I had gotten my my CSCS, which is Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Okay. So I had all this background information. I was teaching physical education, coaching athletes for the previous five years. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and starts talking to me. And right away, he's like, he's like, yeah, you'd be a great fit here. And you know, I played, I told him I played college football. I'd done all these things and I go into the gym and immediately did well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, like a lot of people come to a CrossFit gym or, or that style of gym, that barbell centric gym. They had never had any experience with barbell before. I had done everything before just yeah. about other than like the complex gymnastics movements and snatching. I had did everything else. Okay. So I had come out the gate pretty hot and people were like who is this guy like he came out of nowhere you know he can already mm-hmm. he can already power clean 225 pounds yeah. like i've been doing this for you know 
Countless years, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I had just picked up this barbell. I'm only doing like 95 pounds. And mm. so I, was, I did really well. I think we started in like late summer, early fall. And by that December, I was one of their coaches. Yeah. Um, he was like, yeah, go get your level one. You could be a coach here and yada, yada. And uh, so then I start coaching there. And then you get into a position where like, okay, I'm, I'm getting this groove. So I would coach there a couple of nights a week. And after a couple of years, you know, maybe it was a year and a half, you know, my friend Shantae, movement maestro, uh, I met her at that gym. I mm-hmm. was her first experience at CrossFit. Like, I was her one-on-one fundamentals coach. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how we met. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, her her thing, I got her forwarded her email. She's like, I just want to do a muscle-up. That's, that's my goal. That's it. That was all she wanted to do. So, um, she heard Fair. CrossFit, you could do muscle-ups, and that's what she wanted to do. But anyway, um, so I get in this situation, and we start talking. We jam. We hit it off. And then we start talking about building our own brands. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how Prime Performance evolved. I don't so think the, a lot of people know that Prime started way back when. Yeah, so Prime Performance was the first iteration of my brand, right? Mm-hmm. And it started off as a youth uh, sports performance brand. Yeah. And it started out in that CrossFit gym, that first one that we started at. So I started there, and I had mainly – I started with mainly uh, youth football players who were playing okay. like Pop Warner. And uh, I had a group of like, I think, eight to 12 kids. Um, we were rocking and rolling. We had a program going. We would do that a couple, you know, like just like anything, other sports performance. We would do agility, power, speed, explosiveness, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved where I had a whole youth baseball team and I had a whole nother group of people and I had high school kids. I would run speed camps at the park. I would do all these different things. And I had this, this organization of prime, prime performance. And it got to the point where I was like, all right, um, I was I was looking for space. I couldn't find any space to to sublet in the city. Sublease. Shocker. No, but sublease from somebody uh, else. Okay. So I went to like uh, at the time, I think actually the guy who does Active Life actually owned it at the time. It was there was a big facility, kind of like what we have here locally, at Accelerate. It's called Aviator, in in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, that had like indoor turf fields it had a crossfit gym it had all these different things it had a rock climbing wall it had like this enormous facility i asked if i could sublease space mm-hmm. no go another guy who i somehow owns crossfit Coney Island, i was like hey can i come sublease the space at this time but all the times where i needed was all the times that they needed it's like prime time yeah yeah so that it wasn't and they didn't have like all these ex- extra spaces you know real estate's it's a yeah there's, there's spare, not a lot of it down yeah. there yeah it's not a lot of it so i was like i was like damn i need to find something where i can do so then we looked at a space in Brooklyn, we're like, all right, if we're going to do this, we should try to get our own space. So then I looked at a couple spaces, and I was just like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, Probably you know, some just, exorbitant just, rents. Yeah, there were crazy rents. And for what I wanted is what we have right now. And, yeah. in, and in Brooklyn, like having 7,000 square feet was like a million dollars. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what happens is that over that time, we have our, our first child, Nellie, mm-hmm. in that October. And then during all that time talking with Shantae and, uh, you know, you know, doing all these different things and starting our own brand and building this thing, I was like, well, we're probably going to move upstate, back upstate to where we're from. So in that time, my wife and I are both teachers and we didn't really know what the next step was. We were looking for teaching jobs upstate and we were both kind of being unsuccessful with finding them. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know what, let's just move. Um, and because our CrossFit, the, the community of people we met at the CrossFit gym over there were like all of our best friends. So we're like, all right, well, let's 
do this. There's one. There's only one CrossFit gym up here in, right now at the time. So let's build our own little community of people. And then we can't, we don't have jobs. So we also need some money and we need some other things happening. So let's open this gym. We saved some money. Mm-hmm. I think I started the gym with like $10,000. And we ended up both getting teaching jobs immediately as we moved up here. So it was kind of like, it, it, it was a godsend because what Perfect. happened is that we both had full-time jobs and the gym was just starting. So the gym was very minimalist. Mm-hmm. And then any any revenue that we had from the gym, we didn't need. So it got plugged right back into it. And then it allowed us to grow exponentially. Yeah. More equipment, more people, more services, you know, whatever it was, we were able to, to do it really quick. That was the like, kind of evolution of what turned into CrossFit Utica. Mm-hmm. And then as we grew out of that, it turned into and morphed into what is now Prime Movement and Performance again. Yeah. So it started at Prime, went to CrossFit Utica, came back to Prime, full full circle. But in that time, my training methodologies have, you know, people are like, well, it's not CrossFit or you guys don't do CrossFit. Like when, and early on in the days, like when we were at CrossFit Utica, I used to, people used to complain that our warm-ups were too long and we were doing so much other stuff. We weren't just coming in and doing a heavy back squat and going into a Metcon. My ideas around CrossFit have always been different because of my background in sports, in sports performance. Yeah. So I had always had these backgrounds and these now this knowledge that a lot of other CrossFit coaches, you know, I did my air quote so you can see it on the camera. Yeah. These CrossFit coaches had never had experience to. They'd never trained before. And I heard Marcus Philly talk about this the other day. Like he had had all these other experiences before he got exposed to CrossFit. I had eight years, maybe 10 or 11 years because I did some on my own experience of strength and conditioning before I'd ever stepped foot into a CrossFit gym. So my training ideology and my methods are very different than somebody who just grew up CrossFit only. Yeah. And there I had, I had a blended model, which I never felt was true CrossFit, CrossFit. Um, ever. And so the impetus to, to like leave the CrossFit name and move back to Prime Open Performance wasn't a difficult decision because I never felt that we did true. CrossFit yeah. in its truest sense anyway. I'd have to agree because when I came up here, I had a very different idea of what to expect in a CrossFit because I had trained in a in a in a traditional CrossFit gym through high school, so it was you know muscle ups, handstand push ups, handstand walking, kipping pull ups, and that's what you did. Yes. Um, so when I came up here, I had been coaching. I thought I had this idea of how to coach and uh, what to expect out of a CrossFit class, and then I'm like, oh, we're doing. Two parts to the warm up, and yeah. and we're doing lunges, and we're doing lunges. We're not just doing kipping pull ups and all this jazz all the time. So I think that was really beneficial, and I'll always be super grateful for being exposed to that because now, when I go back and I coach, I try and wean it back, and I think CrossFit as a whole is starting to mediate back towards something more like this. We're not right. quite totally there. CrossFit, CrossFit as a as a brand and, and as a their training methodology has. Is not clear on what they want. No, exactly. I would wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that because it's all like you'll go all over the place and every gym is different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll see some very uh, gyms that I wouldn't necessarily agree with what they do, but granted, it's not my space, so I can't really say anything. But then there's places like this where I come here and I'm like, this is going to be exactly what I would expect out of, you know, a class because right. it's what people need. Like if I have someone come in and they've been sedentary for three years, I'm not going to throw them under a barbell. For sure. For like first day. So it, it's great because the progressions we use were so thought out and very manageable. Yeah. And they were just, it, I thought it was just a very well thought out 
progression. And that's why I loved coming here to coach. So thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. No, of course. And that's kind of where our, my training methodologies have kind of molded and morphed. And even so at that time, because we were a CrossFit gym and because we did certain things, I would program certain things. And, you know, because when you go to these CrossFit ideas, they'd be like, you know, uh, program Let's, for the best scale for the rest. That was kind of like their mantra. I hate that. I hate and that it's a, so it's, a, it's, a, it's not very good. Cause so why would I write a workout for 2% of the people that are coming in the door? Exactly. So why would I write a workout that right now, like if we did an open, like a CrossFit open workout, now I'm not bashing CrossFit because no. I do enjoy I think like, the open's great. And I do enjoy a good fashioned CrossFit workout every from time to time, like really going after it. But if I'm, if I'm talking about a business owner and, and programming for a, a general population group, mm -hmm. why would I program a workout that only me and two of my coaches can do? Like what does that nobody, do? None of my clients can do. Yeah. That makes no sense. So the idea that I have to do this, that I have to program this certain way it just didn't sit well with me. And I did it from, I did it from time to time and you would just see, it would be like, well, why am I doing this? So now if I'm, I'm programming a muscle up and then this person's got to do a banded pull up and this person's got to do a jumping pull, this person's got to do a ring row. And I'm having like 17 modifications in there. Why like, do it? What's the point? Hmm. Um, so finding these, these movements. And I think even now more so than ever and prime, what, what, what's the programming at prime movement performance we have gotten even further away from even doing any of that sort of. I've picked that up. Crossfitty type stuff. Yeah. So as we've kind of evolved and gotten into our own kind of like white space, mm -hmm. like our unique ideas around fitness, we're somewhere in the middle, right? We're we're not yeah. CrossFit and we're not like boot camp, but we found a space in the middle yeah. that we live where we do barbell training. Like yesterday, we did thrusters. No, yesterday, no, we did tempo. Two days ago, we did thrusters, mm -hmm. which is a traditional CrossFit movement, but we did them at tempo. Yeah. Coach led. So the, the coach would say, like, down, and they would hold the squat for three seconds, and then go. You would explode up and finish in an overhead position, and then reset. And then we would do repetitions at that, but coach led in under slow, controlled tempo. Um, so they were getting a, a movement, but we didn't do it in a conditioning, high heart rate, potential injury setting. We did it in a controlled environment where the coach led it and coach was able to coach it. Yes. So we've done that with snatches for the last, our last cycle has been a segmented snatch where we did a pull from the ground. You pause below your knees for two seconds. The coach goes and checks for, un, checks for movement patterns above mm -hmm. the knee, checks Check. again, hit it, catching the hold, catching the snatch power position. Our coach checks again, and then we reload and redo it. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at with our more complex movements to allow us still to do some of that stuff, but we're not throwing you in and be like, hey, we're going to do 75 snatches for time at 75 pounds, and hopefully you don't blow your back out and rip your shoulder out. Yeah, because what would you expect to happen? And that brings us back to if you've never touched a barbell before and I say go snatch 100 kilos, that's not going to happen. So that's that space in between the beginning and the end. Like that's all the nitty-gritty stuff you have to do yeah. because if you just – like you said, like you do Randy, the 75 snatches for at 75 pounds. Like, what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah. This person's never touched a barbell before. Like, and I couldn't imagine. And that's why I try to move away from that as well. Down, down in Poughkeepsie, because I couldn't imagine the feeling that person had, like the uneasiness, be like, I'm going to do 75 of these things. I've yeah. never even touched a barbell before. Like what, what, like, what am I going to do? And then it, it, that, that could kill their motivation and do all sorts of other adverse effects. So it's, yeah. I, I love that you do the segmented stuff because that's a very, very crucial, important, uh, a 
component of teaching those complex movements. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you're looking at the more complex the movement, like talk about the snatch. Yeah. These are, these are movements that people focus their entire life on. To put on two kilos on your max snatch, yeah, you'll see these professional weightlifters. It's an Olympic event where people, that's all they do. Yeah. Right? So, so think about that. Like we're doing movements, and yes, we're not doing the full variation. Like we don't do the full variation of a movement. What do I mean by that? We're not pulling a snatch from the floor and finishing in an overhead squat. We, we've, I don't think we've overhead squatted in, at prime, and, and, and pfft, I can't even tell you the last I don't even know if I've ever. I can't I, remember the last time I did overhead squat, to be honest. Really? You snatched, though. On its own. You oh, know, like, oh, like independently. Yeah, yeah oh. five by three leg overhead squat. I've never done that yet in a while. But. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, we do have a, a um, you might can see it because it's behind me on the board. Yeah. Uh, we have a clean complex coming up. And, I like that one. Yeah, and it's, it's very controlled. Right, it says a segmented power clean. So again, we're going to stop below the knee, and then we're going to power clean and catch in the and pause in the catch position. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a hang squat clean, and we're going to catch and hold in the squat, and make sure that you can catch in that position before you just bounce out of it and your knees cave in and all this crazy stuff happens. And then we're going to finish with a regular front squat. And then over the weeks, we are going to progress it by adding reps or or adding load, um, but it's going to be in a controlled environment. And we're going to progress movements in that way. And then when we come to conditioning at the end, things are easy. Like we talked about the air squat. So if I can do it flawlessly, then when I get under fatigue, it might only get a little bit ugly. Mm-hmm. But if I do a little bit ugly, not under fatigue, what's going to happen? When <laughs> what's it going to look like when, we, when we're tired? Yeah. It's going to be aggressively ugly. Aggressively ugly. Right. And I guess the moral of the story <laughs> is to be aggressively average, but not aggressively ugly. Yeah. If you could take one thing away from this, take that quote. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get that printed and frame it and I'll mail it to you. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, and that's kind of how we've evolved. Like, so we got a little evolution of nutrition. We got a little evolution of training methodologies and ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, you know, we're at about an hour right now. So what? Yes, sir. Time flies when you're having Time fun. Time flies. So an hour is kind of like our limit Yeah. and we don't really want to get, get you on here too long. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and if you'd like to, to some more of this stuff, you know, whether from Canino or myself, Canino, where can we find you on the grant? Well, I'm not putting a whole lot of <laughs> grad school is doing me pretty bad right now. So my content game has been uh, aggressively below average, yeah. uh, but it would be MC underscore Canino, C-A-N-I-N-O. Yep. No, no numbers. Awesome. He does throw some challenges out to our, our coaching staff from time to time with Olympic lifting yeah. on, on his stories. I got to keep Woodman on his toes. Yeah, keep I'll Nick, start tagging you if you want. Nick, yeah. Tyler tagged me on the L hang. I know I still hang pull up and I did an L hang rope climb and I tagged him and I got no, no response. He sometimes, he doesn't do that when he gets uh, intimidated. Yeah. No response. No response. All right. So that's (laughs) all we got for today. Thanks for hanging out with the prime podcast again. And we'll be back again. And then this coming week, uh, I have some other guests that are coming on. Uh, My friend Shantae that we were just talking about was going to be on another friend of mine who's been a a nutrition coach like Nino a little bit longer. I actually played college football with him um, back in Ithaca way back in the day. And we're going to talk more nutrition, more topics, more ways to make you find your prime. Have a great day. Thanks for having me.